And one of the things that uh, I've always loved about about this church and about the approach we've had is that we've we've focused heavily on um, on trying to reach kids in our community um, from all walks of life. And uh, and with that, we've we've had you know really really um, good kids that have come along from really stable homes, and um, we've had kids come along who have not had had good upbringings and have come from really tough environments. And um, and we all, whether we've come from good environments or bad, bring with us um, things good and bad. And uh, one of the things I loved about about my time here at Dural is that we've had a lot of kids who have come from from rough um, rough homes, rough upbringings. And um, and with that, they've brought a lot of personality, and uh, and with that, we've um, we've had items that have gone missing from time to time, and uh, I remember back in the day, we used to have things stolen all the time. Uh, there was a time I had my phone stolen, and it took about three years before I figured out who it was, and and I finally uh, finally got it back. Um, we had a lot of little things along the way that have been stolen, whether it's all PlayStation controllers or DVDs. But um, on the over over the last few days, we um. We had a uh, an incident where one of our our playstations got got stolen and um, down in the pier and we were um, we, we narrowed it down to a timeline of when it could have got stolen um, and basically we figured out it was from Sunday to Tuesday that this playstation could have got stolen and um, and one of the and Craig um, Glasby our our center manager over the last six months has decided to, to create this place like Fort Knox. And so he's installed 14, 15 security cameras around. Um, and there's signage as you walk in, um, they're, they're there, but a lot, of the, a lot of people don't take any notice. And look, a lot of the teenagers don't take any notice. So um, we had this PlayStation stolen and we decided, well, let's, let's have a look at, uh, at the footage. And Craig, you know, absolutely was in his element. Um, so we started looking at the footage and it's, it's hard because you've got a big window um, I, I didn't, I've never wanted to be a police officer full time, but even doing it like a day a week, I would have been, oh, that would have been great. So I got, I had, a, I had a time in my life just sitting there looking at this, um, this footage. And, and so we had, a, it, was, it was a difficult gig because we had three days that we were trying to narrow it down to. And we came to the conclusion, okay, if you were going to come in and break in, when would you do that? And well, it was a long weekend. So we were like, okay, you'd probably come in on the Monday. And then we were like, well, if you're a teenage boy, we came to the conclusion it had to be teenagers. If you're a teenage boy, there's not too many 40 year olds that are coming in nicking playstations so we're like if you're a teenage boy when would you come in so we started looking we're looking at like 8am in the morning we're like no one wakes up at 8am in the morning when you're a teenager so we went straight to lunchtime and we were looking at this footage and it got to about lunchtime got to about one o'clock two o'clock and we were looking at it eight times speed because you know you don't want to waste all your time and we just saw this shadow walk past and we're like there it is and there were four of us just looking at this footage and we see this shadow walk past we slow it down and we see these these two guys and um they came in they picked the lock um down the bottom they opened the door and we just there's this moment for us that like i it brought me a lot of joy. Um, it's been a lot of times where you don't get justice in this place and you know stuff's been taken. You know, like, you probably know who the kids are, but you just never have the proof. And this was one of those moments for me. There's a lot of justice in it. But they open the gate and they walk in and there's just this little celebration. You see them do this little dance um, as they as they break in. And then they go in, they pick some more locks, they take the PlayStation, they're down there for about 10 minutes and off they go. Um, and uh, And that was it. And, uh, and we had a moment where we're just watching this footage and it just, it just brought me like so much joy watching this footage because you've got this justice for the first time that I've never really had before. And I went home and I was talking to the boys and I was talking to Eli and we were, you know, talking about the, um, the, the PlayStation 
um, PlayStation had been stolen and we just explained to the boys that, like, you know, these, these, these kids had come in and taken it. And Eli was, was, um, was shocked. He just said, well, well why, did, why did they take it? And I was trying to explain to him, well, this is probably, you know, probably um, some of the normal things that have happened for them growing up and, um, and they might not have had like um, a home that has taught them, you know, about the ways we do things and about really good behaviour and stuff. And, and he was really interested. He's like, well, what are you going to do? And I was like, oh, well, there'll be a few of us. We'll sit down with the boys. We're going to have a chat to them. And, and he's like, well, can I come? And I was like, <laughs> I, was like oh, I, I, don't, I don't think so, man. But I was really interested. I was like, well, what would you say to these boys? And he said, well, I'd say to them that you don't make many friends by stealing things. And I was like, well, man, that's quite profound. Like, yeah, that's, you might come. Um, and then he, he said to me, he's like, well, I'd also tell them that if they keep stealing things, I won't make them any paper aeroplanes and I won't let them play with my Lego. And I was like, well, yeah, right on. That's, that, would, that would affect them deeply, I think. Um, over the weekend, I had this, had this um, God did this number in my heart with these boys because these boys um, have been around Dural for, for quite a while and and there was this initial moment where we saw this footage of these boys and I'm not going to lie, like it brought me a lot of joy. Um, seeing the footage, playing cops, you know, it was, it was really, um, it was a lot of fun, but it brought me a lot of joy to get this little justice, little moment that happened. But over the weekend, I just started to have like this, this, this broken heart for these kids. Um, and I just, um, like these kids have not... They have not grown up with great upbringings. I don't know their full stories. I don't know everything that has gone on for them. I know there's probably people who have really tried along the way, but um, they are in environments that are really, really difficult and they're just repeating cycles that they've been in for the longest time. And that's what we do as people, right? That's what we do in the cultures that we're in. And I had this moment where I was reminded so powerfully and so clearly that the gospel is the most powerful thing that we carry. Um, relationship with Jesus is the most powerful thing that we, we can ever carry in this world. Um, I was reminded of this passage in Isaiah 61. And this is what we're doing, right? This is what, why we're here. This is why we come every week. This is why we do community so deeply with each other. It's because we believe in a saviour um, whose mandate is this. In Isaiah 61, we read, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and to release from darkness the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendour. And today we're looking at this idea, um, this value of discipleship, this value of growth, this value of being a disciple. Um, and I wanted to start today by just reminding us and just um, setting the, the platform, the foundation, the tone for us um, that we carry the good news, that we are in relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We are in relationship with the God who is the very definition of grace, the very definition of love, the very definition of mercy. And each of us who are sitting in this room and one way or another have been in experiencing God um, in all his fullness for a long time. Um, we've experienced his grace. We've experienced his mercy. We've experienced new cultures and new ways of doing things. Um, we've experienced a relationship with the one who um, is the very definition of love. And so our lives um, are slowly but surely becoming more and more like his. 
We are in a room full of people who over an extended period of time have been sanctified, um, who are being sanctified in in the image of Jesus. We are not who we were 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Um, And we are in this process of becoming more and more like Jesus. And our job in this life is to go out and to make that culture, that relationship that we have experienced, those cultures of grace and mercy and joy, normal throughout the whole world. Um, in the little worlds that we're in, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our unis, in, um, in our friendships, in our, in our families, wherever it is that God has placed us, our mandate in this life is to take the good news um, to those who are broken. It's to take the good news to those who are hurting. It's to take the good news to those who are lonely, who are isolated, who are struggling. It's to take the good news to 14-year-old kids whose normal is to just come in on a long weekend and steal from those who try and help them. It's to take the good news to those people in our families who are hurting and who are broken, who are really struggling. And as we gather here on a Sunday morning, as we gather as a family, this is what we carry. We carry this good news. We carry literally living within us the Spirit of God. And this is His mandate to the world in which we live. This is His cry to the world in which we live. So I want to pray for us and then we're going to look at this idea of of discipleship. So Father, as we gather as your family this morning, We just want to stop and we just want to thank you. As a group of people prayed before we started our time together, I was reminded by someone in there that we all carry different things. We are in a room full of people and we are all sons and daughters who carry different gifts, different personalities, different ways of looking at the world. Each one of us are here and we are different. And Father, I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for the uniqueness that is in this room. And Father, in that, I want to thank you that we are completely one, that we're one in your name, that we carry your spirit, that we're unified by who you are and by what you've done. We're unified by your blood. We're unified by the hope that you have instilled in us. We're unified by the fact that we are in your kingdom and you're calling us to usher your kingdom here. Father, we want to praise you this morning. We want to hand over the things that aren't of you, the things that we're carrying, the baggage that we're carrying that's just not of you. Father, I want to pray that you would fill our hearts with grace and mercy. I want to thank you that you have taken us from death to life, that you've taken us from an old way of doing things to a new way of doing things. So Father, open our eyes, open our hearts, and we just thank you this morning for who you are. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you're good in your name. Amen. Well, this morning we're looking at this idea of discipleship. And, uh, and just being a disciple really simply is, is, is following. Um, it's following the call that Jesus has on our lives. Uh, in Matthew 4 verse 19, Jesus says to, to his disciples, come, follow me. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Um, I preached about two months ago on this idea of what it looked like to be a disciple practically and, and to follow your rabbi. And so I'm not going to go into that in, uh, in great detail today. But what I want to do today is look at three uh, fundamental aspects of, of what discipleship really is. When I was about 19, I read this book um, from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, has anyone read this book? 
a few of us. Um, if you're interested in discipleship, if you're interested in what it means in, um, in the thinking behind it, if you want one of the most profound writings on it, um, this is the book that, that you want to read. This book changed my life as a 19-year-old. As a um, it's one of the most profound pieces of literature that I've ever read. Um, but some of the things that he, he defines discipleship um, really beautifully in it. He says this, he says, Jesus summons men and women to follow him, not as a teacher or a pattern of the good life, but as the Christ, the Son of God. Besides Jesus, nothing in this life has any significance. He alone matters. When we are called to follow Jesus, we are summoned to an exclusive attachment to his person. The grace of his call bursts all bonds of legalism. It is a gracious call, a gracious command. It transcends the difference between the law and the gospel. And Bonhoeffer has this, like, throughout, his, throughout the book, he has this, um, this line that he keeps using, the single-minded obedience, um, where he, Jesus is our sole focus in this life. When we look at being a disciple, it's really simply this idea of following Jesus. And when we look at this idea of discipleship, discipleship is this active word where we are helping others to follow Jesus in their walks. It's helping others to put down their nets and to follow him in all aspects of life. When we talk about discipleship, we are looking at this idea of, of whole of life. The thing that, that the, the Jewish people get that we, f- we don't fully get in regards to discipleship is this idea of whole of life. Um, a rabbi would teach his students everything. He would teach them the Torah. They would te- he would teach them the Torah. He would teach them all the scripture. He would teach them things of religion, um, things of um, the synagogue. But he would also teach them how to wash their clothes. He would also teach them how to how to speak to people. Um, he would also teach them all the practical elements of what it looked like to be a really good human being. Um, and the rabbis got this idea that discipleship was everything, that the Torah influenced everything, that the gospel influenced every aspect of our lives. Um, discipleship is this idea of, of how we, um, what we carry in regards to the spirit, what we carry in regards to Jesus must impact our families. It must impact the way that we talk. It must impact the way that we look at the world, the way that we view ethics, the way that we look at our workplaces. Um, It must impact the little things in our life and the big things in our lives. So discipleship is this idea where we are deeply relationally involved in each other's lives and we care about all aspects of each other's lives. We care about what the Bible teaches us. We care about prayer. We care about about what God is saying to us um, and we help each other in that. But we care about what that means for the really practical elements of our life. We care about what that means in regards to how we live our lives um, in every area of our lives. And so we call this whole of life discipleship. It's deeply relational. You'll find throughout scripture that um, so many of the key moments where we read about discipleship is over a meal. Um, it's where people are sharing a meal together, where it's breakfast, lunch, dinner. They had different ways of doing things. Um, but doing meals together, sitting and eating, conversing, laughing together, being deeply relational. In the 10 years that, that I've been here at Dural, um, this is one of the cultures that I've seen that has just blossomed and has been really, really beautiful. Uh, if you picture discipleship in a community like a garden, when it's done really well, you start to see flowers develop and, and they start to grow in all their beauty. 
There's nothing that squashes them. There's no weeds that are in there. There's nothing that hinders them. They're just in a, in a um, setting where they're able to grow and able to be cultivated in a way that they're meant to be to grow. Um, if you picture discipleship as a garden, then at Dural we have all these beautiful pockets, all these, this beautiful garden um, with all these beautiful flowers throughout it. They're all diverse, all different colours, and yet there's this incredible beauty to it. Um, when my mum plants a garden, she plants a garden. Uh, it's beautiful. Um, there's, she just has this way of looking at flowers, this way of looking at how she does it, this uh, approach to gardening where she's just incredibly passionate about it. And when she plants a garden, it's a real thing of beauty. Um, when I plant a garden, it lasts. It doesn't last and I don't plant any gardens anymore. Um, but when she plants a garden, it lasts. And she will plant gardens. Like my mom's incredible. We, we have rented and we just, we've rented a lot of different houses. My mom will come and plant a garden when we are leaving a rental. Um, it's just because she wants to bless the next people. Like that's the kind of um, person that my mom is. And so when she plants a garden, it's this thing of incredible beauty. And you look at it and you just go, I look at it and just go like, I could never do that. Um, discipleship is this idea that we are a garden and we are all different, um, but we carry this beauty within us and we are growing into something that is more and more beautiful. Sanctification is this idea that, that we are growing more and more into the image of Jesus. We are becoming more like him. And so therefore we should becoming more, be, we should be becoming more beautiful. We should be freer. We should be more liberated. We should be carrying more joy and more peace, um, because we are becoming more like him. And in the 10 years I've been here, it's been a real privilege because I've seen a culture of whole of life discipleship. I've seen what it looks like where people um, invest in other people for the gospel, where people outwork Isaiah 61 that we read at the start of this, and they invest in other people's lives in meaningful and really deep ways, where they sit and have coffee with people week after week, where they journey with, with people through different family issues, through different work issues, where they... Um, care more about people's character than about their behavior, where they care more about who the person is and they care about what they do. I have watched and I look at a culture that has changed um, the, the way in which we, we do things. And I look and I'm surrounded by people who are fathers and mothers now who have changed the, the career decisions that they were going down. I look at the amount of people whose character has been developed over the last 10 years and I'm blown away. Um, I'm blown away by the wisdom in this church. I'm blown away by the joy that is in this church. Um, and I'm surrounded by some of the strongest, most generous, wisest, most passionate people that I've ever met. And it's because we have been in a culture um, of discipleship. It's because we've been in a culture where we look at each other and we see who we, who we are now and we go, I want to invest in you um, and I want to help you to follow Jesus with everything that you have. And I want that to impact every area of your life. And discipleship is this beautiful thing where when we invest in someone, when we invest in them deeply, when we um, do deep relationship with someone, um, they pass that on to someone else. So for instance, when I first came here, one of the first things I did was, um, and this is something that God imparted in me as a, as a teenager, but one of the first things I did was I sat down with, with, um, with Andrew Bollum and Lachlan Gage and, um, and I sat down with them and for five years, we, like literally five years, we would have done coffee and breakfast once a week. Um, we did relationship. We talked about life. We talked about Jesus. We talked about the spirit. We talked about um, a million different things. We did life really, really deeply together. 
And what's blowing me away is it was a really simple action, but what it was, it was really intense discipleship for five years. It was friendship for five years. Uh, it's where we let each other into each other's lives for five years. Um, and we did so in a way that was really meaningful, really practical um, and really loving. And what's blowing me away is that um, the way in which those guys have gone on and discipled others has impacted this church in really, really dramatic ways. Um, someone like Andrew Bollum is one of the best pastors you will ever find. He's one of the most passionate followers of Jesus and has had an impact on this church in ways that so often we don't see because we're not watching and we're not there in the communities that he's impacting. Um, there was a youth night here uh, six weeks ago, I'm going to say, um, and at that youth night, I walked in and I was a youth pastor here for seven years. So I should have a fair idea of what's going on with the, with the youth and who the youth are. And I walked in and I tell you, I didn't know, I knew one of the kids. Um, I didn't know, I knew barely any of them. And one of the things that, that hit me on that night was that um, I invested a lot into, into Andrew and, uh, and he has just gone on and he has invested into like, like, so, yeah, so, so many people. He has discipled so, so many people. And in this, in this church, I walked in and there's this youth that we as a church, we are responsible for these kids and yet we don't see them. And yet there are people who are overseeing them. There are leaders who are overseeing them. There are, there are fathers and mothers who are leading um, the teenagers in this church. And yet we might not ever see them because they're not here on a Sunday. And I was blown away because the thing that I was reminded of and I was hit by is that like I discipled Andrew. Andrew's discipled his youth leaders. His youth leaders, um, the youth leaders that he has discipled, some of them aren't there now and they're just, they've discipled their own youth leaders. And we've got a guy named Azageno. Now, Azageno is, um, is out in our kids' area at the moment. He's leading our kids. He grew up in our youth ministry. He is a product um, of being discipled from, I can, and I was looking at it this morning, four different people um, have discipled him over the last 10 years. I remember I looked at photos of Azza and he, like, he was a small child when he came here. He was really, really young. And now we have a man out in our kids' Um, teaching our kids right now who is so passionate about Jesus. This guy carries this incredible joy about him. Um, but here's the product of guys who have sat down with him for years and years and years and discipled him in different ways. Um, there are leaders upon leaders who have discipled each other and passed on this beautiful picture of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And now our kids and our youth are the ones who are receiving that. And I had this moment where I walked in a, on this youth night six weeks ago and I walked in and I didn't know these kids but the thing that I did know is I played a part in their in their discipleship I played a part in the these kids were amazing they'll get up they were prophesying they were speaking this ridiculous words of encouragement um, and I was sitting there and I was just blown away because um, this is something that I take pride in uh, the like one of the things that I've done well in my life and there's plenty that I haven't but one of the things that I've done well is I've discipled people and I've invested in people and there was this moment where these kids are getting up and they are the product of a group of people who have been discipled along the way and discipled others who have faithfully laid their lives down for other people and helped each other to see Jesus in all his fullness in all walks of life. And so we are in a culture where discipleship is, is really normal and it's the most beautiful thing that we'll ever be a part of because it's the greatest investment that we will ever make. I want to look at three fundamentals of discipleship really, really quickly this morning um, as we move forward as a church. The first fundamental of discipleship is this. We cannot lead people somewhere that we ourselves are not going. Jeremiah 17 verse um, 7 to 8. 
gives us this really clear and simple picture of what it looks like um, to be connected to Jesus. And Jeremiah 17, verse 7 to 8 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and it never fails to bear fruit. A tree that sends out its roots by the river. That's the picture of who we are. That when we are connected to our Saviour, that when we allow Him to speak life into us, the thing that we will do is we receive that and it grows us. We can't take people anywhere that we ourselves are not going. Um, And so if we fundamentally want to be good at raising others up, if we want to love other people, um, if we want to love those who do not know Jesus, if we want to have an impact on the next generation, if we want to speak life over our family, if we want to speak life over um, the city in which we live, if we want to speak life over our workplaces, then we ourselves, we have to be receiving that life. There's an integrity to what we do. And this picture in Jeremiah 17 is this really simple one that when we are connected to the river, when we send out roots that are deep, we ourselves receive this life. We ourselves receive this joy. And the most natural thing that a tree will do if it's a fruit tree is it will grow fruit. It can't force fruit out. The most natural thing that a tree does when it's a fruit tree, when it's in good conditions, is it overflows this fruit. It grows it. And it's the same as us. And it's the reason that Jesus uses these images over and over again. When we are connected to him, the things that will come out of us are things of his kingdom. When we are connected to him, when we allow him to speak life into us, when our roots go down deep and are connected to who he is, the most natural thing that will come out of us is love, is joy, is peace, is patience. These are things that we cannot manipulate. We cannot force them out of, our, out, out of ourselves because we ourselves haven't created them. He has. And so if we want to be people who are postures of love in our community, then we need to be people who are receiving that on a daily basis. We need to be completely connected to that. And so if we want to disciple other people, if we want to raise up other people, if we want to help people to experience the goodness and the fullness of who God is, then we ourselves need to be, we need to be led ourselves. We need to have life spoken over us on a daily basis. So we cannot lead people somewhere that we ourselves are not going. The second aspect of discipleship um, is that we pass on what we have been given. One of the the, uh, most profound things I ever heard at a wedding was from a guy named Ray Evans and he was talking about his son, Um, And he gave one of the most moving speeches I've ever heard at a wedding, but he had this profound line and he said, um, my kids have been on loan from God. I don't own them. Um, They've been on loan. And he had this approach where he, he, as a father, they were on loan from God. He didn't own his kids. We know we don't own our kids, Um, but he was given a a task. He was given a job to do. Um, And God was the one that was responsible for them. And God had placed his kids in his hand, his kids in in Ray's hand. And I was reminded when I was thinking about this, that that we we don't own anything in this life. We think we do, Um, but we don't really. Our lives are very, very temporary. We live maybe 80, 90, 100 years um, and that's it. There's a finite nature to our lives and we don't really own anything. 
Um, C.S. Lewis profoundly said, "You, the only thing, um, the only time you will ever own anything is when you give it, give it away. The only thing that lasts in this life is the kingdom. Everything that has been done for God, everything that has been done for His kingdom, that is what will last for eternity. Um, anything that hasn't is temporary. It has a full stop to it, and in many ways is meaningless. And so we have a responsibility to pass on what we have been given." We think about this in regards to our retirement. We think about this in regards to doing a will. Um, so often we think about what we will pass on in terms of our physical things, in terms of our house, in terms of our assets. Um, but imagine if we live lives where we passed on everything that we had been given um, in terms of spiritually. Because what God calls us to be are people who overflow the gospel in all aspects of life. When we receive something, we pass it on to others. And discipleship in its very nature is this idea that when we receive something from our Father, we go on and we pass that on. And John um, teaches us, Jesus teaches us this in, in John 15, verse 9 to 7, 17. And I'll just read it to us um, quickly. John 15, verse 9 to 17 reads this. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. My command is that you love each other as I have loved you. Now, I've spoken about this a lot, but love by its very definition is that we lay our life down for each other and that we have a greater vision for our neighbour than we could possibly have for ourselves. This is what Jesus teaches us throughout Scripture. So discipleship is completely connected to love. Discipleship is this idea where we see our neighbour and we look at them and we see the spirit that is within them. We see who they are and we go, I have a greater love for you than I could possibly have for myself and I'm going to do everything that I can to champion you. I'm going to do everything I can to raise you up. I'm going to do everything I can to build you up, to speak life over you. When we have a love for our community, when we have a love for each other, it's where we lay our lives down for each other in ways so that we can raise each other up in the kingdom. Jesus goes on to say to his disciples in this really personal way, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. What a profound moment for his disciples where the Saviour, the King of Kings, is looking across at his disciples and telling them, you are not my servants, you are my friends. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from the Father I've made known to you. And this is the preface. This is, this is the foundation of what discipleship is. Everything that I learned from the Father I've made known to you. Everything that we have been taught from the Father, our job then is to pass that on. It's to enjoy it. It's to um, savour it. When Jesus gives us something, when he passes joy and peace and love into our life, when he speaks words over us, then we as his people, as his sons and daughters are to enjoy that. We're to be enriched by that. And then what we are called to do is to pass that on. 
I love this line. Everything that I have learned from the Father, I have made known to you. You think about this room. Think about the amount of things that God has taught everyone in this room. The amount of lessons. The amount of moments that everyone in this room has had that have been really difficult. The amount of times where you have sat there in this life and gone, this is a season that is really hard. There are people in this room who have lost loved ones. There are people in this room who have lost children. There are people in this room who have gone through incredibly difficult things at work. There are people in this room, everyone in this room has gone through one thing or another. And we have learned. We have grown from it. We have carried a faith in that that has made us stronger. There are so many lessons that we have learned in this room um, throughout the course of our lives. And discipleship is where we look and we look at the next generation and go, the things that God has taught me through the good seasons and through the bad, the things that God has taught me, I'm going to pass on. The prayer that I heard um, before, um, before we started this service was one, like a beautiful one, um, but it was that we were all different, that we all carried different things. We all carried unique things. And the church, as we go forward, the next generation, they need different people. Everyone in here carries something unique and something beautiful and we are called to pass that on. The worst thing that we can do as Christians is, is, is hoard um, the things that we have in this life. And often when we think about that and talk about that, we do so from a physical perspective. We sit there and we talk about money and we're like, oh, don't hoard our money, we need to pass it on. But a much worse thing than that is if we hoard wisdom, if we hoard lessons, if we hoard the, the things that the Spirit has taught us and we do not pass them on. And so the most profound thing that we will ever do is pass on the things that the Spirit of God has been teaching us through the good and through the bad. The cultures that are normal in your family, the cultures where you raise your kids and, and raise them in, in really beautiful ways, they're not normal cultures for a lot of people. So the most profound things that you're ever going to do is to father and mother um, someone who is father and mothering at the moment. It's to, to, to stand with a son and a daughter and to raise them in the, in the name of Jesus, to help them to see every aspect of what God is trying to do in their lives and to raise them up with a posture of love. And the thing I love about this passage in John 15 is that Jesus has this, this posture. Everything that I've learned from the Father, I have made known to you. Discipleship is where we take that approach and we go, everything that I have learned from the Father, I will make that known to others. Whatever we receive, we pass on. And then finally, the third fundamental of discipleship is that we create new standards of normal for other people. So one of my favourite passages, and we're going to look at this in, um, in about a month, but is found in Matthew 14 verse 22, and it's, um, and it's where Peter walks on water. And for time, I'm not going to go through the passage, but we all know the story where Peter gets out of the boat. He, or Peter is in the boat. He sees Jesus walking towards him. Um, and he gets out of the boat and walks towards his rabbi, his saviour. It's one of, my most, one of my favorite passages in all of scripture because if you just said to Peter three years earlier, you will be walking on water, what would Peter's response to that have been? You fool. Of course, I'm not going to walk on water. And yet this process of discipleship changed the normal in Peter's life. The things that he thought were normal were no longer normal. And he had this higher vision for what this life was. The kingdom of heaven came down upon Peter's life and revealed to him something new. And out, he stepped out in boldness and walked over anxiety and fear and everything that that lake represented to the, to the Jewish people. He walked on it and walked towards his saviour um, and had his eyes upon him for a moment. If you just said to Peter three years earlier, that's what you would have done. He would have shaken his head. 
Discipleship is this idea where we raise each other up in new cultures, where we create new standards of normal, where we help each other to see further than we have seen ourselves. Discipleship at its core helps people to believe, to see, to carry a faith so radical that the only thing that starts to make sense is revival. And so our job is to help people to stand on the shoulders of giants. And the things that we carry, we're called to pass on. So really simply in this church, we are called to enjoy the Father. We're called to enjoy God in all his fullness. Like deeply enjoy him. And when we enjoy him and when he teaches us things, when he passes on things, we're called to pass that on to the next generation and to each other. And when we do that, we will create new normals where we will see more and more Peters jumping out of the boats and doing the most radical things, the most beautiful things. And that is what our world needs to see. That's what our world needs to experience. Everything that I've learned from the Father, I've passed on to you. Dear Lord, we just come before you. We want to thank you that you didn't hoard, that you're the most generous and most gracious God, that, Father, you are, you are ushering in heaven. It's all its beauty and all its extravagance and all its intricacy and all its joy. You are ushering in heaven now. And so, Father, we just want to thank you that you're a God that is generous, that you overflow your generosity to us every day. We thank you for the world that you have created, for the beauty that's in it. And Jesus, we just want to come before you and we want to pray, firstly, that we'll be really good at experiencing your joy. For those of us who haven't felt your joy and your goodness for a while, I just want to pray a real peace over them. I want to pray that you would reveal yourself in new ways. I want to thank you that you are the author of life and I want to pray that you would write a new chapter over some of our lives. Father, I want to pray that we would be really good at knowing the work that you have done in our lives, at knowing the seeds that you have planted, that we as a people, as your people, would take deep pride in the things that you have been growing in our lives. Father, I want to pray that we would be a community and a family that is known for beauty, that is known because we want to pass on your beauty to the next generation because we have a greater vision for those who are around us than they could possibly have for themselves. And Father, we want to thank you that you have spoken life over us. And I want to pray that you would help us as we go into this week to speak life into the world in which we live. That we would speak life to those who are marginalised, neglected and forgotten. And help us to outwork the things that we are carrying that you have imparted in our lives. We just thank you that you are good and that you love us. In your name, amen.